Welcome to this week's energy show. On this show, we're going to answer the question, why is electricity so expensive? Well, I'm going to just cut to the chase right now. Two reasons. The first, electric companies are monopolies. It's the same problem that we have with water and natural gas. There's only one supplier. Now, it used to be the same problems with phones and some other things, but now that's a competitive market. And the second reason why electricity is so expensive is that the cost of electricity are mostly affected by your local cost of living. Wages, real estate, taxes, uh, utilities too. So places with high costs of living, like Hawaii and California, have high electricity prices in general. All right, so let's dig into these two factors and see what may change with better policies and technology. All right, expensive factor number one. This is the big one. The fact that most of California and most of the country gets their electricity from investor-owned utilities. We refer to them as IOUs. You know, it's, it's kind of a nice little acronym there. It has a double meaning. All right, so you know, technically from an economic standpoint, a monopoly exists when there's only one supplier for a product or a service. Now, what ends up happening is monopolies end up in situations where there's a lack of competition to produce that product or that service. And then there's a lack of substitute things, right? Think about electricity. There's only one company that's got the wires going into your house, and really, you need electricity. You can't substitute pretty much for anything else, although that's changed with new technology like solar and storage. And then you end up with high prices because this monopoly can charge pretty much whatever they want. They can gouge you, and there's no possibility of a competitor coming in. Why do they charge a lot of money? They want to make a lot of profit, and you can just see that. We'll talk about that more with utilities. Now, you're kind of funny because this is not a new problem. I'm going to drag out one of my old monopoly sets. I don't know why, but my kids have like five or six different monopoly sets for Star Wars and you know all these different characters that they've got. But looking at the monopoly sets, oh, gee, it's called Monopoly, and you look on that Monopoly board, And there's the electric company, there's the waterworks, and there's three or four railroads, you know, along the sides of the boards. Those were all monopolies in the last century, the last two centuries. Okay, so there were other monopolies that have been eliminated over the past 150 years or so. They didn't make it to the monopoly board. There's Standard Oil. John D. Rockefeller started up the first big oil company, Standard Oil. It was also a company called Esso. And Esso changed their name to Exxon, so you still see some remnants of that. There's a company called U.S. Steel, founded by Andrew Carnegie. I mean, these gentlemen, they were really, really great business people. They had pretty aggressive. They did some bad things, but they also did good things. Carnegie built libraries all over. Rockefeller's got a lot of good foundations. So there was a U.S. Steel company. That's still around in another incarnation. They weren't really as successful as others. And then there was another company, which you haven't heard of anymore, called American Tobacco Company. And actually, that still exists but they got rid of their tobacco. I think it's called American Brands or something like that. Okay, so how did these monopolies get started? Well, it dates back to really when our country was founded. And monopolies, this is not a situation just in the U.S., it's all over. But it really, based in colonial times, when companies got exclusive contracts to provide products or services that were really needed. So from the late 19th century to the early 20th century, the markets for oil were completely controlled by Standard Oil. The markets for steel, which were used tremendously for railroads and construction, things like that, completely controlled by U.S. Steel. And almost all the tobacco that was harvested and sold in the U.S. was under control of the American Tobacco Company. Now, without competition 
these companies kept the prices for steel, oil, and tobacco really, really high. They made huge profits. And so what ended up happening is there was a lot of pushback on that. And so in 1890, there was something called the Sherman Antitrust Act that basically made it illegal for monopolies to gouge customers. And that Antitrust Act led to the dismantling and restructuring of Standard Oil and American Tobacco. And there's a lot of other companies. I mean, heck, I think back when I was a kid, talk about telephones, we'll get to that more in a minute. But telephones, there was a Bell Telephone Company, American Telephone and Telegraph. They had the monopoly for phones. You couldn't buy your own phone. There was no phones being sold in stores. It was all done You'd call the phone company or you'd send them a letter and they'd charge you a bunch of money and they'd come out and they would wire in your phone and you weren't allowed to touch it. You couldn't even wire it. You couldn't move the phone. It all had to be done by the Bell Telephone employees and they did a good job. I kind of was hacking around when I learned that they were running at a fairly low voltage. I did manage to rewire our house and put in a couple of really, really old phones. These things were like you know sledgehammers, but they work great. But it happened in 1982. AT&T was found to be in violation of the Sherman Antitrust Act while acting as the sole supplier of telephones and telephone services to the country. So as a result, AT&T was forced to split into seven subsidiaries. They were called Baby Bells, and they've kind of been through different versions. Verizon's one of the leftovers, and telephone business became completely deregulated, and there's all kinds of substitutes now. We're not going to dwell on that now. So let's go back to electricity. So talking about monopolies, electric utilities like gas and water utilities are what are called natural monopolies because they build and control the infrastructure required to produce and deliver those products and services. You know, because it's really expensive to build the power lines. It's really expensive to dig the underground pipes you need for water, for sewage, for gas. So theoretically, theoretically, it's best if one company dig up the streets and puts in the pipes and one company puts up the utility poles and runs the wires and now underground. Otherwise, it'd be like chaotic multiple companies digging and putting in these pipes and wires. So theoretically, and that's why it does make some sense to have a monopoly do that work. Now, within this kind of category of natural monopolies, you've got these privately owned utilities. When it's called privately owned, they're owned by investors. In many cases, they're public companies like the investor-owned utilities, IOUs. And in California, we've got three of those. There's Pacific Gas and Electric, there's San Diego Gas and Electric, and there's Southern California Edison. So these are the privately owned, investor-owned utilities. They make tons of profits. It's just, it's kind of a racket. I mean, getting into it, they have a guaranteed rate of return. They always make a profit of 10%. If their profit's not 10%, they're allowed by law to raise their prices so they can make their profit of 10%. And, you know, they can kind of, cram whatever overhead they want in there, give whatever raises, spend whatever kind of money they want so that they get that guaranteed rate of return. It's a terrific racket. Now, it's not automatic. There are entities called public utility commissions in California. We've got the California Public Utility Commission, and they try their best. There's a lot of really, really good people there. And the role of the public utility commission is to regulate these utilities, these privately owned utilities. And so that's kind of how it was set up. The PUC is there to make sure that the privately owned utilities don't get ridiculous profits and they're actually doing their job. The problem is the PUCs, Public Utility Commissions, fail miserably since, I mean, I'm looking at these monopolies like electric utilities, the gas utilities, water utilities. These utilities have so much money to spend. Where do they get the money? They get the money from the ratepayers, from the people that pay their electric bill, their water bill. They get so much money that they have a ton of money to 
quote, invest, unquote, by persuading politicians to vote or advocate for their interests. And, you know, heck, in the solar industry, I've seen this for 20 years, where we see the electric utilities spending tons of money to persuade politicians. And how do they persuade them? They donate to their campaigns, kind of all kinds of things. But that money ultimately comes from the ratepayers. So you've got businesses and homeowners spending high amounts of money for electricity that money goes to the utilities and then those utilities then spend a ton of money we'll talk about a really great example for that in a minute spend a ton of money to persuade politicians to vote and have policies that continue this racket of investor-owned utilities okay We'll talk more about that in a minute. So the other way of doing it is there are things called government monopolies. Now, this is managed by the government. You know, a lot of people say, oh, we want to privatize things. We don't want the government getting their hands on things. But boy, when things are privatized, like electric utilities, and you see how out of control it gets, and I'll give you an example in a minute, it makes sense to maybe, heck, we give government a shot at it. And with these government monopolies, like some electric utilities, they're overseen by elected officials. You've got mayors and governors who are making sure that these government monopolies are doing their job, providing the service safely and inexpensively. So here's some examples. There's something called the CCAs, Community Choice Aggregators, and these are kind of quasi-government utilities that buy electricity and sell electricity. So here in Silicon Valley, we've got San Jose Clean Energy. It's a CCA managed by the city of San Jose. We've got Silicon Valley Clean Energy, which is also a CCA that's directly managed by the mayors of all the towns in which it serves, since that's most of the towns in Silicon Valley, except for Palo Alto, Santa Clara, and San Jose. So what happens with these CCAs, and I think they're great, they buy their own power from solar farms in battery storage facilities, and they distribute this power over the existing utility line. So it's kind of a little bit of a hybrid. They're not completely their own utility, but they're buying power and selling it for a heck of a lot cheaper than the incumbent utility PG&E can. So the electricity rates are cheaper with these CCAs and IOUs. We can get into this into another show, but then they have the IOUs are allowed to add fees to the CCA electricity so that the rates are almost the same. So you've got these CCAs who are doing great, San Jose Clean Energy, Silicon Valley Clean Energy. They can offer cheaper electricity to homeowners and businesses, but the public utilities like PG&E are able to then artificially raise the price so PG&E, for example, can continue to get their original 10% plus profits. It's a racket. Now, the other type of government monopoly utility talking about electricity are municipal utilities, such as Silicon Valley Power. That's the power company in the city of Santa Clara and the Palo Alto utilities. And they have their own power plants. They manage their own wires. They do a great job. And here's the thing. These municipal utilities, like Silicon Valley Power, like Palo Alto utilities, in exactly the same high cost of living area as PG&E here in Silicon Valley, they have electric rates that are less than half of the IOUs. It's amazing to me that PG&E spent $46 million of ratepayer money to prevent these CCAs from taking off. Fortunately, and this was a big battle almost 10 years ago, PG&E lost the battle and community choice aggregation utilities started taking off in California. Now the situation is, you know, over the next few years, most of the electricity provided to most areas in California, most big cities, are going to be from CCAs. And theoretically, it's going to be, I mean, the electricity delivery is a lot cheaper than what the utilities were charging. But... You know, then they have these adjustments that ramp it back up again. Okay, let's just take a look at the difference in these electricity generating costs. It just jumps out at you. It's amazing. 
Most utility-scale solar farms are generating electricity in California around the country for less than three cents a kilowatt hour. I've seen prices even below two cents a kilowatt hour, but let's use three cents. It's been a pretty good average for the last five years. So any big utility or small utility in California can buy the power at these rates or less, including the investor-owned utilities like PG&E, that they're spending less than three cents a kilowatt hour, including the CCAs like Silicon Valley Power and San Jose Clean Energy, and including the municipal utilities like Silicon Valley Power and Santa Clara. So they're all spending the same amount of money for the product, for the service, for electricity. It's less than three cents. It's nothing. So three cents sounds pretty good. Quick digression. Now, if you put solar on your own roof, your generating costs, depending on the kind of solar panels and whatever, but your costs are going to be about eight cents a kilowatt hour. And if you add a couple more cents on to, you know, maybe 10 or 11 cents total, your costs with battery storage are 10 cents a kilowatt hour. So let's just say you got solar and batteries on your roof over the lifespan of that system. It's going to cost 10 or 11 cents. Compare that to the average 30 cents a kilowatt hour from your local utility PG&E. So you can see, boy, there's a huge difference. And this is all because of technology. All right. So now let's just compare these electric rates around here in Silicon Valley. I mentioned the average PG&E residential rates are about 30 cents a kilowatt hour. So, all right, yeah, Silicon Valley, it's an expensive place. Palo Alto utilities residential rates are about 15 cents a kilowatt hour. And boy, you know, Palo Alto is you know, one of the most expensive cities in, in the country. And so their electricity costs are half of what Los Altos Hills has or Cupertino or Saratoga, neighboring cities. It's amazing. In the exact same territory, PG&E charges twice as much for electricity. And the same thing with Silicon Valley Power in Santa Clara. It's less than half. All right. And all these utilities are able to buy the power at three cents a kilowatt hour. So here's like, just think about this. Palo Alto Utility spends 12 cents a kilowatt hour to manage their whole utility operations. 12 cents plus 3 cents, that's the 15 cent average rate. PG&E, since they're spending 3 cents for the power just like everybody else, they're spending 27 cents a kilowatt hour to manage their whole utility operation. So why is there that huge difference? Well, because companies like PG&E, they're investor-owned utilities. They have tremendously higher costs and they have almost no motivation to reduce those costs. They have skyscrapers in cities. You go into San Francisco, the biggest buildings used to be PG&E. They have tons of lobbyists. You know, they, they spent $46 million 10 years ago to, to prevent competition from coming in. They have really highly paid management. You know, management's making millions of dollars in stock options and bonuses. They pay dividends to stockholders. So they have a ton of extra money that's coming out of whatever they charge ratepayers, and it's going to the stockholders. They spend a lot of money on feel-good advertising. All of this, and plus, you know, trucks and everything else, to deliver the exact same service as a municipal utility does in basically the same territory. So it's obvious that these municipal utilities, and I think also CCAs, are far more cost-effective than the investor-owned utilities, but we're kind of stuck with them. All right. We talked a lot about the monopoly business model, the utility business model. It's broken. Public Utilities Commission is not doing a good enough job to regulate it. The other factor, and the reason why electricity is expensive in some places, like here in California, is the local cost of living is high. There's a really strong correlation between the average electricity costs and the local cost of living. Utilities have to pay for land. 
They have to pay for buildings. They have to pay for trucks and equipment. They have employees that live locally that also have a high cost of living. And you're kind of looking at those employees. They've got what I call tool belts and they got ties. So those are the workers and then there's the management. So I did a quick review of cost of living compared to electric rates. So the highest cost of living states, places where it's most expensive to live, Hawaii, California, New York, Oregon, Massachusetts, and Alaska. The states with the highest electric rates, Hawaii, Alaska, Connecticut, New York, Rhode Island, and Massachusetts. So it's an 83% correlation between cost of living and electric rates. People say, gee, you people in California spend so much for electricity. You know what? We don't. The fact of the matter is we're just in a high cost of living state. And that's just kind of varies. Our average house in Silicon Valley is 800 to a million dollars. Average house in other states might be a couple hundred thousand dollars. So it's just expensive. Okay. So talking about the big costs, a lot of the costs are because the employees of these utilities, they have to be paid so that they can live in those areas. And talk about the utility employees. I have a lot of respect for the utility employees who do the actual work. I call them the tool belts. Our company, we work with them all the time. These are the line workers. These are the people that come out and make sure that the electric meter is operating properly, do some wiring, digging in the streets, running the wires up top. They're great. I mean, we work with those employees kind of all the time to install solar and storage and upgrade business and homeowner electric panels. Now, there's also a lot of utility workers wearing ties. I mean, you know, not all of them are wearing ties, you know, good mix of men and women, but they're really nice people. They're hardworking. They're super smart. But in many cases, they are part of the system that's causing electricity to be so expensive because it's all centrally generated and distributed, unsafe and dirty. Now, California's doing a pretty good job of cleaning up their electric mix. We're not generating as much power from none from coal and not as much from natural gas. But, you know, we're fighting every solar company is fighting with these utility workers wearing ties. Not every single one, but you know, they're basically their goal is opposed to ours. Their goal is to sell more expensive electricity. Our goal as solar and storage companies is to empower businesses and homeowners to have inexpensive and reliable electricity. So we're fighting with these utility employees all the time over utility policies, over interconnections. They're arguing, they're making it hard for us to connect customers and always battling over electric rates because the utilities want the rates to be really high and they want to prevent people from putting in solar. And we're obviously trying to contradict that and fight against that. Okay. So just to wrap up, we pay a lot for electricity because the utilities that are serving the needs for customers are monopolies and they're gouging these customers. Moreover, these utilities, these investor-owned utilities are consistently working to thwart competitive power options like solar and storage. They're trying to prevent or make it more expensive or more difficult for you as a business or homeowner to put in solar and storage. And, you know, really the sad thing is the public utilities commissions in general and state governments are not doing their job to regulate these really powerful interests. So what can you do? All right, there's really only two things you can do. One, vote for politicians who will actively stand up for your rights to generate your own power. And the second thing, while you can, take advantage of it. Install your own solar and storage while you still have the tax credits, 22% for 2021. And electric rates are still very favorable to putting in your own solar and storage. Okay, that's all the time we have on this week's Energy Show. Thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in. And if you missed any of today's show, you can always go to our website at cinnamon.energy and listen to the podcasts.